Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Saturday evening Dhamma. So today we're looking at we're looking at the Pia Jatika Sutta, Majimanikaya eighty seven. And it's uh, There's not it, it's not a very complicated lesson. I mean, there's not much to the lesson, but what is there, I think, is quite important, and it's a good story. It addresses a, an important issue, because it's not there's not a lot I think to say, but I'll say what I can, and I'll tell the story, of course. So the story goes. When the Buddha was in Sawati, the Buddha spent most of his life, the majority of his life in Sawati. It's a city, it was a city in India at that time. Now when you go to that area, all you see is fields and the vague outline of the city wall. One of the biggest cities of the time has disappeared, gone. Two thousand five hundred years later, change, no, change gets rid of it, removes everything. But the Buddha was dwelling in Sawati, and there was a certain man, some kind of, some, probably a wealthy, well-respected individual. And his son died, and with the death of his son, he lost all desire to work or eat. All he did was went to the cemetery and cried, cried out, My only son, where are you? My only son, where are you? And after some time of this, he he became so distraught that he started to think, as many people do when distress hits, now who could help me with this? And of course he thought of the Buddha. He'd heard good things about this recluse and so I'll go and see the Buddha. And he says to the Buddha, he says, oh no, he goes and sits down and the, the Buddha says to him, Basically, says you don't look so good. It says uh, your faculties are not those of one who is in control of his own mind. You appear deranged. You don't appear to be in control of your of your own mind. And he says, "Oh, how could I not be deranged? My dear and beloved son has died, and since he died." I have no more desire to work or eat, I just go to the graveyard and cry. And the Buddha says, Indeed, so it is, so it is. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair are born from those who are dear. 
arise from those who are dear. And that's the the thesis of this this the, the, the core of the this discourse is this statement. We've heard it before, I think. But you, you've probably heard me say it. It's a hard, it's a hard statement to hear, let alone agree with and appreciate and accept. And this man certainly is having nothing of it. He came all this way to hear the Buddha, and the Buddha says this, and oh boy, does he get upset. He says. Who would ever think that sorrow, lamentation, despair, pain, grief Who would think those things are born from who are dear? Venerable sir, happiness and joy are born from those who are dear Right? When we... Something that is dear to us That thing Wow, it gives us such happiness, right? Put aside people, we think this sort of thing about all of our possessions. Anyway, the story goes on. He gets very upset. He gets up and leaves. Displeased with the Blessed One's words. It's very rare that someone gets up and leaves having been displeased by what the Buddha says. But anyway, this is the case. And and he goes and as he's walking he's walking home he sees some gamblers some people playing dice gamblers I, I mean I think the connotation is these are sort of immoral shady individuals gamblers the kind of people who drink alcohol and well, who gamble it's not the most noble of occupations Obsessed with money, perhaps cheating, but certainly manipulative. There's something to do with gambling. Gambling is, I don't think, in general, very. I mean, it's certainly given a negative connotation, anyway. I don't go too much into that. He goes to these gamblers and he asks them, he says, Oh, I went and said this, and the Buddha said this, and then I've said this. And they say, Yeah. Happiness and they they agree with him. Happiness and joy come from those who are dear. And the householder goes home, and this, this man goes home and says, thinking to himself, "I agree with the gamblers." So eventually, the story gets to the king, King Pasenadi, and he's not the most brilliant. If you know anything about this king, he's portrayed as not a very brilliant individual, to say the least. But his queen is quite smart and the, the king tells us that he says to the king this is what the king this is what uh, this is what I've heard about the Buddha the Buddha says about Gotama he says sorrow lamentation pain grief and despair are born from those who are dear the Buddha says that liking things makes you unhappy those things that you like cause you stress and suffering liking things causes stress and suffering. And the queen says, well, if the Buddha has said it, then it is true. And the king gets angry at her and he says, 
you just agree with whatever he says. The Buddha, if the Buddha says this, you say so it is. If the Buddha says that, then you say so it is. And so he 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 expels the queen. He tells her to go away. And so the queen goes to one of her a Brahmin, uh, somebody who an advisor, I guess you'd say. She says, go and uh, talk to the Buddha and ask him what he meant by ask him what he meant by that saying. The Brahmin goes to the Buddha and and the Buddha gives him the explanation. So rather than that's about it for the story. The Buddha gives a simple explanation on why it is that something that is dear to us can is considered to cause stress and suffering. He says that in this very city, you know, if you think about the vision of the Buddha, we're talking about a much broader vision than simply the situation that each of us finds ourselves in. And so what we would say is that most of us are, are fairly narrow-minded. And a person who is a person who is in the process of enjoying Uh, enjoying possession of the things that they love it's hard for them to see any truth in this saying that things that are dear to you bring suffering that that the overall uh, result of what is dear is stress and suffering and despair and so But the Buddha said, in this city, you know, there, there are, this is, you can find a person, a man, a woman, young, old. You can find them lamenting parents, children, brothers, sisters, wives, husbands. You can find people going crazy with despair and grief. My aunt and uncle right now are, I think, still quite upset. They personally, my, actually, my aunt and uncle, because our our cousin passed away. It's a curious thing when someone dies as a Buddhist, because there's not this sort of sadness. It's a, a hard thing to relate to. Um, for someone who has come to practice meditation, because you you see the you see the truth of this that these that a person who is even enjoying the 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 presence and the possession of the things that they love. Even this person who is on the upswing, you might say, 
is, is engaging in a process of, uh, of stress and, and suffering. And so the Buddha talks about how a person who who holds someone dear and then loses that person, there's, there's great suffering that comes from the change. But in meditator sees even the the liking of something as stressful. Sees those people who are clinging, that they're caught up in attention, there's a tension to it, and you see how this tension is stressful, there's a worry, a, a, a mother or a father who, worry, who, who loves their child so much, because it ultimately comes down to something much, much simpler than loss, or um, you know beings, you know, it's at a much simpler level of losing a being, losing a son, losing a daughter, a child, a parent, a loved one. It's about change. A fundamental level when we talk about losing someone, we're talking about a state of mind that is stuck and has been disturbed because of being because of being out of sync with reality like if you think of reality as like a a, a car and then you you uh, or you're in a cart let's say something let's say something simpler like an ox cart and you're 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 riding in an ox cart and suddenly you're your your robe, because back then everyone kind of wore robes, gets stuck on a bramble bush, and you're riding in the ox cart, and your your robe gets stuck on it, but the ox cart keeps going. The ox cart keeps going because that you know that's the nature of the ox cart. But because you're stuck on the, the bramble bush, great great da you're in great danger. You're out, you're out of sync. You're going to become soon quite out of sync with the ox cart. You're going to fall out of it and hurt yourself. A person who is stuck on something has lost their sync with, with reality. It's not even really pleasant for a meditator to, to like something, to, to indulge in pleasant sensations because it's out of sync. It's disturbed. It, it feels unnatural. It's in and of itself intrinsically. And that's really what the Buddha says. He talks about change. He says if, if someone you love changes, this is what the queen says to the king. She says, what if you, do you love your son? He's oh yes, I love my son. And what if he changed? What if he died? But not just died. It doesn't take death, because it's not really beings that we're attached to. It's experiences. 
And so if your son is, or daughter is always saying nice things to you, or is very cute, but then they grow up and they, they get a foul mouth, they turn 13, 14, and they start saying nasty things, talking back, fighting, arguing, so much anger comes, so much more anger than if someone you didn't know more anger than if someone you didn't love were to say, were to respond in that way. Because it's changed, because we're stuck on that. We're stuck on something that is not real, right? We're stuck on things being this way. But that way is, is, is uncertain. If you could be stuck on things being always the way they actually are, then that would be something else. But that's not how desire works. Desire is not something where you can just like whatever happens. This liking is a stickiness. It's, it's nothing like reality. It's nothing like mindfulness. The only way to be content or to be happy with whatever comes is to be perfectly in sync with reality it's why you know people will say fine and good things that we love can cause us stress and suffering but if you give them up then you give up all the happiness that comes from them and they think of buddhism as kind of this okay it's an it's a it's an option where you give up all happiness in order to give up all suffering so no happiness no suffering but it's not really like that. We have a natural way, a way that is in tune with reality, that has none of this stress. And then you have this stressful way that is really involved with wrong view. You know, the, 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 and it's, it's a pernicious and highly, deeply ingrained wrong view. But you have to understand that it's wrong view, that it is not a given that happiness comes from seeking out things. You know, it's actually wrong from a Buddhist. A Buddhist would argue that it's wrong, which I think is is harder to under, harder to accept than maybe it even sounds. I mean, deep down, we have this uh, axiom that you if. If, if you're looking for happiness, seek out that which makes you happy. So we take meditation in that way, right? I'm doing meditation because it's going to make me happy. I have that mindset even for meditation. But that whole idea, the idea of seeking something out, the idea of clinging to something, of liking something, that that might lead to happiness is wrong and the state of liking actually takes away your happiness takes away your your peace of mind it takes away your connection with reality puts you in a new frame of reference where the only variables are do I have what I want or do I not have what I want And the only happiness comes from 
always getting what you want, which of course is impossible. And it's not even happiness because it's not real. It's no longer, I am experiencing this, this is what's happening, it's uh, I am getting what I want. I am liking, I am wanting. It's an unnatural state. It's a state of mind that is no longer no longer natural. So there's more to it than simply saying, well, we're going to give up, give up things. Right? There's this idea that in Buddhism you have to give up everything that makes you happy. But that's not really how it works, right? That's the point. The point is that's not how it works. Happiness doesn't come from wanting or liking things. Happiness is a result of um, a result of, of peace of mind. And so, there's two ways to get peace of mind, right? To be constantly fulfilling the objects of your desire, or to stop desiring anything. And and the, and then the point is that even if you're constantly fulfilling the objects of your desire the nature of it is such that you're not satisfied the nature of desire is to breed further desire the nature of contentment is to breed contentment so it's quite a different state you can't say I desire something and so that breeds contentment it's not like that habits are are not static they don't lead to other things habits lead to perpetuating themselves so a habit of mindfulness of contentment leads to further mindfulness and contentment. A habit of wanting and liking leads to more wanting and more liking, stronger and stronger attachment to a specific state. And that attached state in and of itself is, is it's artificial, it's, it's un... well... I'd encourage you to take up meditation and study. I mean, the, really the important thing is that when we talk about losing a person, we have to look at what's actually going on in the mind. And uh, so if, if you focus your attention on the being, you know, my son died, my daughter died, my, my husband, wife, mother, father died, you know, it's very hard to see the reality of the situation. I mean, that's not the reality of the situation. The reality is uh, there was a great pleasure of possession, and the possession and the 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 stability and the certainty of that thing, that person, you know, that concept is as now uh, impossible. You know, you never will see that person again. So seeing the experience of seeing is no longer uh, accessible to you. You'll never hear them speak. You'll never feel their touch. You know? We want to see them smile. We want to see them play. We want to see them laugh. We want to hear them talk to us and say nice things to us. Because again, it doesn't take death. The person can just stop being nice to you. And you have husbands and wives who love each other and then suddenly start hating each other. 
it's worse than if they'd died. So what's really going on is 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 made up of experiences. The experiences that you were attached to are no longer attainable. And instead you have experiences that you you don't want. And so if you study those experiences, you know, it really changes your perspective. And I think it, people get so caught up in this concept, the idea, oh, I lost this person, oh, this person died. So it's really just conceptual. From a meditator point of view, you hear this and you think, well, why are you crying? You know, it's like a person who's hitting themselves and you say, why are you hitting yourself? That's really what crying is all about, you know, a person who gets upset and says, Oh, I'm so upset and he says, Yes, yes, like the Buddha says, he says, Yes, yes. It's something that causes when you like something it causes suffering. It's it's really like someone hitting themselves, you say, Why are you? I'm suffering, I'm suffering. Say, yes, so why? Why? Or, or at least it's a shame you can't see, it's a shame you can't be more mindful about your stress and suffering because their attention is focused on the being, the concept, and not on the reality. A meditator looks at the world quite differently than rather than thinking I lost this person, I lost that person, they will think ah, well, here, is, here is a state of sadness. They might still be sad of course. But if the, through the training of meditation they'll be able to say, here is sadness and it's because of not getting what I want. And they'll be able to note the sadness and let go of it. They'll be much better equipped to deal with the problem, right? A person who is... Because take two people, one one is mourning and, and, and their only recourse is to... Well, would be to to get back the thing that they lost, which oftentimes is impossible. And the meditator, who is also mourning, but their recourse is to change their the way they look at the experience, the way they look at the object, and to be able to change that habit. They they change their perspective, and and they observe. And they see that they're causing themselves suffering. It's a person who actually sees, oh, I'm hitting myself, I better stop that. A person who is thinking about the being, they have no concept of what they're doing to themselves by regurgitating, rehashing these memories and reaffirming their, their upset, their sadness. They're saying, I'm so sad, I'm so sad. So again, there's not much to this sutta, but it really is the it, it's a it's a concept that is very key to Buddhism, of course, and very hard for people to swallow. I mean, even the king wasn't up to it, but this man, who, even going to see the Buddha, could you imagine sitting in front of the Buddha and saying, "You're so wrong." Hard. It's so hard for us to see because of our because of the very nature of how we look at happiness. Know, it's deeply ingrained in us to, to think that happiness should be found from getting things. And we never stop to look at 
what is that process of getting things like? What, what actually happens when we do that? What is it actually? What is the actual experience of it? And we see that oh, it's it's not satisfying or pleasing at all. Really, it's quite stressful all around getting what you want stressful because it's a constant increase of desire not getting what you want is of course incre in incredibly stressful so just some thoughts and some dhamma for tonight thank you all for tuning in have a good night